Kevin promised me a little, uh, a little Memphis this morning. Uh, he came through with that. Al Green would be so pleased. Don't you love seeing all these boxes up here? I just I appreciate so much the investment that we're making one child at a time in unison with a lot of other people who uh, are willing to give just enough so that every child that receives one of these boxes also hears a gospel presentation. And I've been to at least three places uh, in the world where I have, I sound really big here. Uh, uh, three places in the world where I've talked with people face-to-face who've said, yeah, they, they came into our village, we got one of these boxes, and we heard the gospel, and just the difference that it made. One of those, a young lady lives right here in our city, who her, one of her first contacts was uh, getting one of these boxes, and, and God brought her to himself. Just a beautiful story. Those are investments that we make. And we all do that, right? You make investments maybe without even being aware of how you're doing that or uh, the impact that they're making. When Kathy and I first got married, we uh, wanted to do the right thing with finances. I still sound really big. Is that just me or is that okay? Um, I want to do the right thing uh, with that. So we didn't have a lot of rules. We didn't, you know, create just a, a bunch of detailed, you know, kind of guidelines that we were going to follow. We just set a few basic rules. Uh, to save, to spend, to give. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can do with it, right? And one of the things we did is, you know, we thought, well, we want to be prudent about the future, so we want to put some away for that, but we also want to invest in the kingdom. And we hit on this solution that we thought was pretty cool, that we could do both. At that time, there were some churches who were selling church bonds so that they could build their buildings or facilities, increase whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and they would sell these church bonds, really great interest rates, so it's kind of a win for us, a win for them. Uh, one of the churches that was really going and blowing at that time was Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. You may have heard of that. It's where Pastor Jerry Falwell uh, w- was for years and years and years and years. Um, we invested there, and it, it was going pretty good, but then things began to fall apart. And over a period of time, the investment just sort of went south. They couldn't keep up with it. The money didn't come in like they had projected and they thought it would. So they began to not be able to, to follow up and they wanted to, um, you know, pull back and say, hey, can we just give you 50 cents on the dollar of your principal and everybody walk away? And we're thinking, no, we can't do that. So that's kind of going on and we're in the midst of that when who do we invite to Calvary to speak one evening but... Jerry Falwell. He comes here, he speaks. Afterwards, the staff uh, go out to dinner with Jer. And he and I call each other. Uh, he calls me Da. I call him Jer. Uh, and uh, we went to what is now P.F. Chang's. Used to be a restaurant named Grady's. Do you remember that? It was a really great place. Uh, we were there, and we're eating dinner, and we're kind of laughing and talking. And, and he, he brings up in the conversation, and this is so cool because I think... He doesn't know me. I am like nobody. His, his private jet's waiting out on the, you know, the, no kidding, at the airport waiting for him uh, to finish dinner so that he can go. And he mentioned something about money and finances. I don't know whose box that is. That is so funny you put it up. Um, so he, he talks about that, and, and he talks about if you owe money, you know, to somebody, then you ought to pay it back. And I just, I made this joke. I, I, didn't, I promise I didn't embarrass you, but I, I kind of did. Uh, I said, oh, that's so funny because you owe me $3,000. <laughs> and he said, he looks at the, who is this? It's the youth minister. Oh, well, nobody respects them, right? I mean, you know, it's, uh, 
So he said, well, how do you figure that? And I said, well, <laughs> and I'm still making a big joke out of the whole thing. And I said, well, we invested our hard-earned money that we will retire one day on in your, your church. With these, we bought these church bonds, and now they, they can't pay. He goes, well, tell me your name and your phone number. I said, okay. So I gave him that. The whole staff's looking at me like, whoa, this is so cool that you called Jerry Falwell out on the carpet for your, you know. Uh, great use of the opportunity, you know, the, for that, turn the moment into, it's all about you. So, um, we did that, and he leaves. You wouldn't believe, but in a few, a few days later, I get a call from his attorney uh, saying, you know, would you uh, be willing to accept this, and do this, and we kind of worked out, you know, the best deal that we could. We, we never got our, the, the money back, but I was, you know, so impressed that he would personally follow up on that. You know, I just, that was so cool that he would take that on and say, you know what, I'm, I'm here and there's like layers of people between me and your investment. There's huge thing that you've put into this. Uh, but he personally took care of that. I thought that was, that was a good testimony uh, to me. You know, that's not the worst investment I've ever made. Haven't you made some bad moves? The stock that your cousin told you about? You know, the deal that just couldn't go wrong. All of those things. I had a friend that we got talked into starting our own coffee company once. And we had to buy all these little coffee machines and this coffee. And you go into businesses and you say, would you like to put one of these in? And then we'll keep bringing the coffee back. We had it figured out where we were going to be wealthy, you know, by the time we were 25. It just didn't happen that way. And I think that's where I began my love for coffee because I had a lot of coffee in my garage and in my house for a long time and just had to drink it all up because we couldn't sell it. Everybody's been in those kind of deals. When I look back at my life and I think, wow, I have wasted a lot of money. Maybe you have too. Investments, things that you bought that just Later, you look at it and think, I wish I hadn't bought that. You know, I paid too much or I didn't really need it. You know that album on iTunes that you're just browsing one day and you think, i got to have this album. And so you click on it. And the next day you listen to it and think, that's a waste of $9. I wish I hadn't done that. You know, we, we've all had those, those kind of moments when something looked good. And whether on an impulse or just mismanagement or whatever, it didn't turn out so well. Jesus told a story once about this rich man who had a manager uh, of his money. It was a guy who was like a supervisor over his account. And actually, his position was more than just a broker. Uh, he, you remember in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph and when, it, when he went to work for Potiphar? And he was kind of like manager of the whole, whole household. It was not just about the finances. He took care of all kinds of details and scheduling and manage the employees. This guy was kind of like that. But his main responsibility was to manage the finances. He kept the books. He made sure that everything uh, flowed smoothly. But he wasn't doing such a good job with that. And the reports that kept coming back in uh, showed that he was wasting his master's possessions. Let me read this story so that you'll kind of be up to speed on what happened in this. This is Jesus talking in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. 
he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turning the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? Uh, he, he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now today, this conversation may have been uh, a little different, but we get it, right? You know, if somebody calls you and says, uh, Smith, what's this I hear about the way you've been handling my money? I've got the reports right here. You're throwing it away as fast as I can make it. That's it. I'm sorry. We're going to have to let you go. I need you to clean out your desk. I'll tell you what, I'll give you two weeks to get the books in the best order that you can, and then we're done here you may leave. And this guy walks out and he's thinking, man, I just lost my job. What am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to do? I've got all these bills. I've got these things going on. I don't have anything lined up. I did not see this coming. I'm way too old or I'm weak. Or I'm just too lazy. I'm not going to do manual labor. I'm past that. I'm just, I'm, I, can't, I can't do that anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm too proud to beg. I just, I can't face my brother-in-law, uh, my mom, I can't, I can't beg, I, I can't do that. So I, I, I know what I'm going to do. And he got this idea. And he said, once my job is gone, I'm going to kind of set myself up because I've got all these contacts and a lot of these folks are really wealthy. I can make some friends and have friends in the right places and they'll even take me into their homes if they have to. So he gets out his Blackberry, and he, and he starts calling people, and he goes, Hello, Johnson? Hey, yeah, Smith. Yeah, enjoy the golf game. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah, listen, 
I'm over here uh, kind of working on some things, and uh, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's in the mail. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, listen, no, 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 I'm not calling to collect. It's not about that. No, what did it, listen, Johnson, Johnson, I, I've got a deal for you. I've got a deal. Just listen, hear me out. The truth is, you have always been one of my favorites. I just always liked you, and I've been thinking, we've got to do something to help you out. How much exactly do you owe uh, our company? The guy says, well, I think it's like 800 barrels of oil. Uh, and the, the thing is, I'm a little short right now. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. Uh, 800 barrels, right. You know what, that's what I show too. I tell you what, why don't you reduce that to 400? Just go ahead and mark that down. Put it in your books. I'm going to do that too. Uh, yeah, would that help out? I thought so. What? what? No. No strings, no strings, that's just the deal. No, you leave it to me, I'll take care of the boss, don't worry about that. Just make a note of it in your records, glad to do it. Yeah, give my love to your family, yeah, right, see you soon. You're welcome, bye-bye. And he just gets on the phone, and all day he makes those calls. Then he's released from his job, and a couple weeks later, maybe the rich guy is he's sitting in a restaurant. Maybe he's walking to the grocery store, and this guy's name comes up, and he goes, yeah. Smith, yeah, I remember him. I fired that guy, but I got to tell you, he was wasting my money, but hand it to him. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's really shrewd the way he set himself up on his exit. Now, the thing about this parable is that Jesus is not commending dishonesty. Because when you read it for the first time, you kind of get that feel, right? You go, what? Is is he saying that? What he's commending is this guy for his shrewd use of money. Jesus said this, The people of the world are shrewder in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Did he just say that? So that when it's gone, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, a lot of people think, and I kind of agree, that this is the weirdest thing for Jesus to say. And this has got to be one of the strangest parables because it just doesn't seem in sync. You know, it's just like, uh, Lord, it looks like you're kind of saying something that maybe you're not saying. It just makes you stop and do a double take. You read and you study this story and the meaning looks obvious and then all of a sudden something hits you and you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what is that about? And, and you think, did he just say that? And this story is one of those that kind of gets my attention like that. Where the master commends the manager for being shrewd, even though the guy is kind of shady. The whole deal is. How can Jesus say something good about somebody who's being dishonest? The, the deal is, and I want you to get this, he's not commending that part. He's not commending the dishonesty. He's commending the shrewd use of money. There are a lot of interpretations about this story. Some people think that the manager is at this point when he's in this desperate mode, he's just giving away his commission. And when he's calling people and saying your bill was four, now it's two. When it was one, now it's 80. What he's doing is just cutting his commission off and saying, you know, you don't owe that anymore. I'm, I'm going to give that my part to you. And kind of endearing himself to people and letting that be known in the conversation. Other people think 
that the rich guy was just charging an unbelievable interest rate, that it was really cheating people, it was just outrageous. And so this guy's bringing it back down into a fair place. You know, he's saying, you know what, that's wrong. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to drop it. You know, he's charging you like 12%. How does four sound? I'm going to put it back down to four, and here's what it comes out. And everybody goes, oh, wow, thank you. That's a pretty good deal. I'll, I'll take that. The thing for me is, uh, and those interpretations could be right, but in, in my mind, the story just loses something. I mean, doesn't it just take all the punch out of it? I mean, if, if that's all he's doing, then I, I, I don't kind of get the point of the story. If the guy isn't using the master's money, then the whole point's gone. You know, he's being commended for the shrewd use of the master's money. He's not commended for swindling somebody or doing that, just for being smart. Now, people of the light, and that's us, are expected to be shrewd in the use of master's money, to always be honest, to always be upfront and above board in all of our dealings, but to be smart about it, to get the best deals that we can. You know, and we... We do that in our personal lives. We do that here. You know, we, we, we try to stretch every dollar and to make sure we're doing the right thing at the right time with the resources that God's given us. And the thing about this word, what I kept getting hung up on in this story is the word shrewd. And what it meant at that time isn't exactly what we think it means now. Because when we hear that, we think, ah, oh, that's somebody who's just almost devious. You know, somebody that'll really take advantage of you if they can and kind of cut you uh, it didn't have that meaning. At that time, it was really more about being smart, being savvy, being street smart. You know, you, you kind of get that feel that you're just being, oh, man, that was a small, oh, that was a good move when you got out at this time and you, you got in on that and there's nothing shady about it. It was just being smart with money. And that's really what Jesus is commending. And he says these unusual things. Uh, the part that, uh, another part that kind of got my attention is that Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Uh, did Jesus just say, use your money to buy friends? Yeah, that's what he said. I thought we weren't supposed to do that. I thought you can't buy friends and you can't buy love. And he says, well, I don't know, but use your, use your worldly money. Uh, the point is this. Here's the, here's the key point using the master's money shrewdly to win kingdom friends. He says, in eternal dwellings. Buy your friends. <laughs> how do we do that? And how do, how do we be smart uh, about being a manager? Well, first, we need to realize that the only money that we have is the master's money. Now, this one idea may be a huge jump for many people this morning. This could revolutionize the whole way you approach your finances. You don't have anything that's just st stuffed under the mattress. The money in your kids' piggy banks, your retirement account, all of that is really the master's money. You don't own anything. The Bible is so clear about that. Everything I have belongs to God. I'm just the manager. I'm just the middleman. I'm the guy in between. What God owns, that's who I am in the story. I'm the manager. Maybe that frees you up. I hope it does. You know, at the beginning of the story, the problem was that the manager wasted the rich man's wealth. The real danger is, I think, and it's, it's real common for us to waste God's possessions. 
So you may have come in thinking, well, this is my house, this is my car, this is my checking account, this is my... No, all of that belongs to God. And when you move yourself out of that position of ownership and see yourself as a manager, that just changes everything. We manage God's money. Another thing that stands out in this story is that the wealth that we have really doesn't last very long. And we use it now. And I understand in Scripture, especially like in Proverbs, the Bible talks about, oh, you need to be prudent with your money, and you need to be saving for the future. You need to be smart about that. We try to teach our children, don't spend everything you make. You know, you need to invest some. You need to think long range, and here's some smart things. I, I totally get that, and that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I think you ought to save for the future. I think you ought to be prepared for emergencies and, and moments like that. But here, this parable gives a different angle about money. The key idea in this story is that one day the money's going to be cut off. One thing that this story teaches us is that money is not going to last forever. Now, I hate to use a cliche, but to say, you know, you can't take it with you. You really can't. And some of us live such presumptuous lives because you live in a situation that if you don't have that income, I mean, you know, you're running right up to the line, right? Every week, every month, I've got to have this much, and I've got to rush to the bank and get it in because if something happens... It could be devastating. It would be a catastrophe. You might not could go one week into the future. Or really, if you look at it on paper, you may already be a month or two months, three months behind. And you're starting not even from zero, but from a negative position. So I understand about saving that, but not, not to keep that, not to, to see ourselves in that. Listen to this. In, in Revelation 18, the Bible tells about the fall of Babylon, specifically about the collapse of the entire economic system across the world. And there may have been a time when we thought, well, I can't even imagine that. Some of you are old enough to remember the Depression, and you think, I can imagine that, because I kind of remember it those days. Now, over the last couple of years, some of us, we've lived through some scary events that kind of woke us up, not just in our country, but in countries around the world, where we saw, whoa, this is actually possible. The whole economic system could collapse because we're so dependent on each other. Listen to this. In Revelation 18, verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over Babylon because no one buys their cargoes anymore. There's a long list of these things that, that they give, ending with this. The last cargo is the bodies and the souls of men. Drop down a few verses to verse 15, chapter 18 of Revelation. It says, These merchants and others will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. Listen to this. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. One day, the markets are going to crash. I think it's going to happen in one hour. They're not going to be just depressed. It's not going to be just a recession. They'll be gone. Stores are going to close. The banks are going to close. Currency is going to be worthless. It's going to be just like if you had Confederate money in 1865 uh, in, in a northern state. It's, just, it's not worth anything. 
when I was a kid, I used to go to my grandparents a lot. I lived in Memphis, and they lived in Dyersburg, outside of Dyersburg, and, and I would go, and there was a guy that lived across the street named Randy Lovins. He was a couple of years younger than me, and we did everything together. We'd spend a, a week or two there in the summer, and we'd ride our bikes around. One summer, we got it uh, in our heads that Coke bottle tops, you probably don't remember that Coke used to come in a bottle, and you had to take a bottle opener, and you would take the cap off, and it was just, it was a real cool idea, but... Uh, different from today. So we would open these, you know, and we started saving the caps off these soda bottles. And it became like currency for us. And whoever had the most. So we start saving these things. And we save them and we save them. And we're always lining them up on the front porch and we're seeing who's got the most bottle top, you know, caps. And and I was wealthy. As an 11-year-old, I ruled Falls, Tennessee with bottle caps. I had and what put me really ahead is that one evening we went to the softball field and over by the concession stand, ah, it was like a gold mine. There were bottle caps everywhere. So I got a paper sack and I just filled that thing up. Randy never stood a chance. He was like a pauper in my world. He was just like this poor guy. Yeah, every now and then I'd toss him a bottle cap. But mostly I kept them to myself to make, I want to be the rich guy. To this, you know, right now, I have no idea where those bottle caps are. I'm sure they're all rusted, they're gone. And I wonder sometimes, what if I had taken some of those and just given them to Randy and said, hey, I want you to have, here, why don't you have half of my... Are you serious? I mean, it would have been like giving away a fortune. Then we would have both been kind of rich. And we laugh about that now because you think, oh, I remember, maybe you remember what was currency in your neighborhood. Maybe it was marbles or a hundred other things, you know, that we thought was so valuable. And now it's not. And we realize it's just kid stuff. It doesn't mean anything. It's really not worth anything. You can probably see where I'm headed with this. The idea is that it would have been better if I had invested in Randy, in that friendship. You see, all these years later, he would have remembered, you're the guy, you gave me all your bottle caps. How cool was that? That's what this story is about. You see, now we're adults, and and we, we think we get it. And we think that money's a big deal. And, and we think we should, it's something we should hold on to and just spend on ourselves and not share and certainly not give it away unless we have to. And then only what we have to. Jesus is telling us in this parable, guys, you've got it all wrong. All wrong. You've got to use it or you're going to lose it. Money is something now, but it's, it's not going to be here for It's not going to be here for long. And there's this element I want you to see of how we use the resources at our disposal to reduce people's financial debts, to turn those into debts of gratitude. That's what this smart manager did. That's exactly what he did, and that's what he's commended for. There are a lot of things that money can't buy. But there are some things of eternal significance that money can buy. Money can buy Bibles. 
Money can buy teaching materials. Money can buy medicine. Money can support missionaries, pastors, evangelists. Money can feed and clothe the poor. Money can fund a block party. Uh, money can build bridges between neighbors. Money can encourage somebody who thinks God's forgotten all about him. Money can do a lot of things. And a, a wise, shrewd investment of God's resources is when we put it towards things that help others to know, to come to love Jesus. There's so many options. And through giving at Calvary, through giving to ministries, through giving to Faith Promise, even by giving one of these shoe boxes, so many people are blessed and ministered to by what we can do together around the world. We just had our missions conference, and you heard just a few of the stories, a few of the amazing things that God was able to do because we gave. There was a difference in real people's lives because of you. There's a thousand ways you can invest in God's resources and how to do that in a smart, savvy way so that when it's gone and one day you get to heaven, there are going to be friends there that welcome you into those eternal dwellings. And that's the point. Use the master's money that he's just given you to look after to win kingdom friends. You see, unshrewd Christians are always asking things like, well, how much do I have to give? Like, is a tithe, is that an Old Testament thing? Is that a law? Can I just get, you know, how, how much, what do I got to do? I was kidding around with a guy uh, who we were playing against in softball one night, and this guy was hammering us. I mean, every time he got up, he cranked it out. Defensively, he just made every play. So I'm playing third, and he's on third base, and I said, Hey, at your church, do you guys tithe? And he goes, yeah. I said, is that like 10%? He said, yeah, 10%. I said, you know what? You come to Calvary, how does seven sound? I said, you play for us next season? I might even work out 6%. That look good to you? You know, I mean, as Christians, we're always thinking like that. We're always thinking, well, how much do I have? What, what, what are, and as you fill out those faith promises, you think, oh, what's the... What's the smallest amount I can give and still be generous? And, you know, that's not shrewd. You see, the, the shrewd Christian says, how much of the Lord's money can I invest in future friends? People who are going to be in heaven one day who wouldn't have been there, and now they're going to be there in heaven forever. How much can I invest in those people and still have enough to live on and have all the needs met? Jim Elliott's one of my heroes. He died about the time I was born. And here's something he said that you maybe have heard, and I want you to hear it again because I just love this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim got it. He was shrewd. He figured this out. So what's the payoff? We're always looking for that, right? Where is this going? Jesus would have said, you know, be this way because it's just the right way and you just ought to do it because it's the right thing. He, he doesn't really say that here. He, he assures us that there's something in it for us. And that's the thing I want you to see is that it pays off for you when you use the money's master, you know, the, the master's money shrewdly. Uh, and and here's, here's a few ways that I see it pays off. First, we use the master's money in a, in a smart way uh, and you're going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. When you think of stepping into heaven one day, 
usually I think about being reconnected with people that have gone on before me and I get to see them again. Oh, you're here and I've missed you and seeing King Jesus. And, you know, the Bible em- emphasizes there will be people waiting for us when we step into glory. And there will be people there who will thank us for reducing their debt in this life. They'll have a debt of gratitude for eternity. I mean, wouldn't you just love that? Wouldn't you just love to step into heaven and people come running up to you and saying, thank you, you don't remember me, or you never even met me, but you gave. What would it be worth for somebody to grab you by the hand and to say, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. I would not be here, but you gave. And then for them to sit down and to explain how your gift made a difference in their world in their life. This is the guy who helped me through school. They're just walking you around, introducing you to people. And this is who, this is the guy, I was a missionary, and this is the guy that supported me. I thought I was going to leave the field, and he kept it going. This is him, this is what I was telling you about. These are the ones who gave me the things I needed. I bet that most of us have people like that in our world, in our mind, people who have invested in us. I think of a couple who invested in me early on in my ministry. And some of you I told this to this, this great thing that happened. I felt like God had called me to go to college. I went to college. I don't want to try to sound noble, but I just sold everything I could because I was just so broke uh, to get in. And everything was going along pretty good. And it was the last week of school. And I'm walking down this main hallway. We had this long hall in the, like the, the main building on campus at Union University. Uh, I'm going to chapel, actually, and I'm going, to, and, I, and I hear my name over the intercom system, like the speaker. And it says Dan Riley report to this guy named Don was in the financial aid office and just said his name, just report to his office. And I knew this guy's all about the finances, so it's got to be something about money. So I went to chapel, and after that, I go to his office, and he said, uh, Dan, we've we've done every scholarship we can find, every grant, everything, everything that we can do. And the deal is, you're coming up $800 short of what you need to pay off your tuition. And bad news is, if you don't pay your tuition, you can't take your exams. Now, this was on a Wednesday. Exams were to start the following Monday. I said, so when do I have to pay? He said, I've got to have it by Monday. He said, Dan, I'm so sorry. I've done everything I can do. You've you've got to have this in by Monday. Well, of course, I start this anxiety, you know, and I'm, well, I leave there, and I'm going to walk back over to my apartment, and I go through the cafeteria, and there's one of my roommates and another friend who lives next door. And we're like, hey, what's up? You know, and I said, hey, guys, I just got this news. If I don't pay my tuition by next week, by Monday, I can't, I'm not going to get my exams. This whole semester was for nothing. And so we're going to pray. Let's pray tonight. So that night, all these guys came over to my apartment. The guys I lived with and the guys next door, several of us went to a community group, kind of a small group together. We pushed back the furniture. We all got down. I'll never forget this. And everybody had their Bibles open. And we start finding promises. And guys take turns saying these promises out loud to the Lord. And they put my name in. Lord, you said that you would take Dan and you would bless him. And and we just, we went through all those and we prayed. And folks, I don't know how to tell you except that a peace just came over me. 
And uh, that was Wednesday night. Thursday, Friday, I go to Memphis. Uh, I'm helping out with a the church there. I'm doing intern on, on the weekends. And so uh, that Sunday, I go to church. And uh, that morning, you know, worship is about to start. And I, and I went to this, this church to visit friends and everything. And uh, it's just that the, the music is starting to play. And there's a guy who comes over to me. I don't know this guy very well at all. I mean, we're not friends. He's an older guy. I'm kind of young. So he comes over and he says, hey, how are you doing? I'm good, you know, and everything's fine. And he said, well, how are you really doing? And I said, good. He goes, do you have any needs and, and, and anything going on in your life? And I said, well, yeah, you know, but God's got it covered. God is so faithful. And I just, the, Lord's, the Lord's taking care of me. He goes, okay, well, I just want to check and I just want to see and everything. And I thought, okay, well, thank you. God bless you. And it, there's a part of my mind that was thinking, you should have told this guy. I'm so broke. <laughs> I've got to have some money fast. But I didn't. I didn't. He's about to walk away, and he turns around, and he hands me a check that's folded up. Now, when you're young and when you're in ministry, one of the beautiful things that happens is that every now and then people give you 20 bucks, they give you 50 bucks, $100. And I just thought, God, bless this guy. You know, he's So I put the check in my pocket. I, you know, go back over to my pew and where I am. I get so curious. I just, I thought, oh, I'm just going to slip it out and look at it. So I did. I slipped it out, and I looked at it. It was a check for $1,000. Now, I had never been given that much money at one time in my whole life. I was just this redneck kid from North Memphis. You know, I just, I didn't have, you know, and I thought, $1,000. It just seemed like all the money in the world. I just started crying. That's a manly response. It's kind of a masculine way to deal with it. I thought, I'll just cry. I'll just cry. So I, just, I, just, I cry. After the service, I go over to him, and I had time to think about it during the service, and I thought, this is too much. This is, I can't take this much money. I just, I can't take this much money, you know. So I went over to him, and I said, oh, man, thank you. I said, this is, this is incredible. It's too, I can't take that much. He said, no, 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 you got to take that money. And he said, you have to take that money. He said, I, I wouldn't be obedient to the Lord if you didn't take that money. I said, I, uh, what, what, uh, I don't know what to say. I was just overwhelmed. And he said, well, you're supposed to take this. And the thing is, he said, the Lord told me. And I had to ask him, what's about that? And he said, well, he said, one morning, he said, we got up and I prayed. He said, and all day you were on my mind. He said, we don't know each other that well. He said, but you were just on my mind all day. He said, now I got back home that night and he said, my... My, my wife and I have a little devotional time every evening together. And he said, we had this devotional time together. And he said, I told her before we pray, he said, I just want to pray. He called me Danny, okay? Uh, he said, I, I want us to pray for, for Danny Riley. And, and she said, that is so crazy that you would say that because he has been on my mind all day. He said, really? Mine too. He said, so we prayed together. And out of that time of prayer we are sure that God told us to give you this. I said, what day was that? He said, it was Wednesday. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That while we're praying in Jackson, he's in Memphis praying, and God assures us, I'm going to meet your need, and then God meets it through this guy in an unexpected way. Well, having that permission, I cashed the check. 
And I walked in. I, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know if I even had an account. I just, I just cash. You know, I just went in like a thug and um, <laughs> to the financial aid office, and I just start peeling off hundred dollar bills. You know, here you go. What are you in eight of these? Is that right? Not a problem. You know, such a goof. So I give him this eight hundred bucks and um, I make it through the rest of the semester and, and take care of you know the phone and connection and all of the kind of bills. The last day we pack up, this friend of mine's got a 69 Camaro, and we're thinking, how are we going to get all of our stuff in this car? And we do it because we, don't, we realize we actually don't have a lot of stuff, you know. And it's that point in life, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about, when you feel kind of bad because all of your earthly possessions fit in the back of a Camaro. <laughs> you know, you think, that's my world right there. Everything I own fits in that car. We got it all in. And we're headed off the bypass to, to, to go to Memphis, and I had gotten a job for the summer working at the park commission and interning at this church. And we pull off at Poncho's Taco. And at that time, you could buy a Coke for under a dollar. I had in my wallet, no, I promise this is true, open my wallet, and there's a dollar. I thought, Lord, that's just like you. You pay all of my bills. And then you buy me a Coke. God has done things like that again and again and again in my life. I, I pro- with, without exaggerating, Kathy can tell you, we could keep you here all afternoon just saying, oh, and then another time, and then another time, where we've been on both sides of that story, where we've received and where we've given, and we've received and given. And God builds this beautiful network. You know, one day we're going to all step into heaven. And maybe I'll be talking to a guy, and you're going to come up and go, Dan, you're here. I go, yeah. (laughs) Why do you say it like that? And I'm going to say, this is Mr. Watley. Do you remember that day in November back in 2010 when I told you the story about the guy? This is him. This is the guy who gave me the grand. And you're going to say, ah, I thought you'd be taller. (laughs) We're going to have friends in heaven. That's going to be cool. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. And you think, well, I can't ever get ahead. I don't have enough to give. So if you've been, not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, it says just worldly wealth. You can't be trusted with that. I can't give you the real stuff. I can't give you the good stuff, the true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, God's money, God's money, who'd give you property of your own? You know, the way the Bible talks about it in Malachi, it says when you hold that back, you're stealing from God because it's his money. It's just like you embezzling your company. It's just like you stealing the profits. It's just like you taking cash right out of the till. I mean... You think, well, I kind of get that in business and I'd be fired immediately if that were to happen. We steal from God. Wasting money isn't just immaturity. It's not just irresponsible. It's, it's dishonest. You know, the thing about money is that it's never neutral. Well, money's nothing. It's just, no, it's, it's either going to be your master or it's going to be your servant. It's either your servant or your master. It's one of, money is never neutral. And you can kind of test yourself on that by seeing where does it go. 
What am I doing? And how, how in bondage to, to that am I? How shrewd are you with the master's resources? The money, the time, the energy, the skills that he's given you, all of those are going to be gone one day. All of those are going to be gone. So he's given us notice. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to ask God, Lord, would you show me a debt that I could address? Even if things are financially tight for you right now and you think of all days, right before Christmas, you, you've got to bring this up. Yeah, I did, and, I, and I told the staff earlier, I said, I'm just struggling with this because I said maybe one or two, three times a year I, I even talk about money. And I said, I just I feel uncomfortable doing that. And, you know, and I said, I don't want to be that guy you know, sitting out there going, I knew it, you finally got me to church and he's talking about money. I told you he would do this and I just... And if you're here with that, you know, please know that I'm hurting with you. But I just felt like to be honest to the Lord, to be true to myself, I thought, I've got to do this message. I've got to talk about this today because some of you are missing out. You're just missing out on stories. God's not in your stories. It's just stories about you and the bank and you and the loan company and you and the house and the mortgage. And, and God's not in their stories. And I want him to be in. I want on Sunday mornings for you to take part in the worship. You see, some of us kind of have this idea that we worship, worship, worship. Oh, well, we've got to stop and do the offering and then start back worship again. That is so wrong. You see, it's all worship. Your giving is an act of worship. It's part of what we do. And that's why we just we put it right there in the middle of the service. Because we want you to get that. We want you to worship and to get the blessings that comes back from that. So go home. Sharpen your pencils, you know, start up the laptop, figure out a way to manage God's resources so that you can make investments in the future for eternity. See, I want to invest in heaven. We've got a lot of needs here we're trying to take care of to wrap up this year. We want to go into 2011 in, in good shape. You know, there's, there's faith promise. There's so many people counting on us and watching and waiting to see what we're going to be able to do so that we make that call and we write that letter and say, we're not going to be able to support you this year. Or yes, we're going to be able to do that. Or we're only going to be able to do 70%. Or oh, we can, we're going to, we, you're back, you were at 70, now we're going to be able to take you back to 100%. Or, we don't know what God's going to do. But every Sunday we gather in this room for worship and some people just watch it happen. I want you to participate. I used to be one of the guys that never participated. You know, I stood there, and I didn't get it, and I was a little self-conscious, so I, I didn't sing. You know, I would just stand and, and the songs, and I didn't know how to read the hymnal. I didn't know how, you know, so I, I just didn't sing. And it wasn't until later I realized what I was missing in worship by not participating. Not just standing there and listening and watching, but to participate made all the difference in the world. I don't want you to miss that. If you're not being shrewd, today's the day to change that, to get smart, get savvy about what you're doing with your money because you're missing out on something. In Deadwood, South Dakota, uh, that's where the gold rush was like 100 years ago. There's a museum they have, and in it there's, it's, it's, there's an inscription that this old prospector etched on a beam, and it says this. Check this out. I lost my gun. I lost my horse. 
I'm out of food. The Indians are after me. But I've got all the gold I can carry. What a fool. 